Welcome to the Let's Talk Money and More podcast with me, Leslie Thomas. The aim of the podcast is to get us all talking about money more. Talking about money is still considered to be a taboo. We don't talk about money enough. Women don't talk about money enough. And that needs to stop. In this podcast, my guests and I talk about money, mindset, and how to turn around limiting beliefs, allowing you to develop a healthy, wealthy money mindset. Our relationship with money doesn't just affect our finances, but impacts every aspect of our business. And most of all, our own sense of self-value and self-worth. By mastering your mindset, you can in turn master the money you make in your business. Welcome to this week's podcast episode. And this week is a guest episode, and I have the fantastic Will Rainey here with me. Will is a writer and speaker focused on helping parents teach their children about money. He is the author of the children's book, Grandpa's Fortune Fables. His work has appeared in the Financial Times, iNews, and the National News. His website, bluetreesavings.com has helped thousands of parents start talking to their children about money. He's been invited to speak at Fortune 500 companies. Before starting BlueTreeSavings.com, Will was an award-winning investment consultant. He was providing investment advice to governments, insurance companies, and some of the world's largest pension schemes. Welcome to the podcast, Will. It's absolutely fantastic to have you on today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to it. So I'm going to ask you the same question I ask all my guests. What is your money story? Well, my money story is so I grew up in Harlow in Essex. Um, and I grew up in a kind of average household, so three-bedroom house, um, comprehensive schooling, state schooling. And but the interesting thing about my upbringing is I don't remember having many conversations with money with my parents. Um, I remember getting some pocket money, and I remember sort of getting it on a Saturday, and then on a Sunday I would get up really early with one of my best friends, and we would cycle to the local boot sale and buy like secondhand computer games, and then spend the rest of the day. And that was kind of our what we did with our money. But I don't remember having much in terms of savings and building up. I don't, I don't think I had a, a savings account, or if I did, I only had a very small amount in there. But I suppose the most interesting piece was that when my I saw my parents um, growing up or going through their careers, I knew they were getting promotions and um, getting higher paid jobs and would go on slightly nicer holidays, et cetera. But it wasn't until it all came to fruition when we I left university, at about, so I was 21 years old and got my first full graduate job. And my parents essentially said, right, we're, we're retiring and we're going to move to Spain. And so from the youngest age, from that sort of young part of my career where I was kind of working crazy hours, and then I'd phone up my parents and be like, how was your day? And they're like, oh, we just went to this nice little village, walked around in the sun. And I was like, oh, wow, that sounds amazing. And I'm kind of slaving. And my parents were relatively young compared to their peers. And so what happened is that they just prioritized paying off the mortgage. And it's only I kind of learned this later in life that as soon as they got like bonuses and stuff, they just put it towards paying off the mortgage. And so that when they had this long grand plan, which I never knew about growing up, but as soon as my sister and I were kind of independent, they were like, right, we're going to retire and move to Spain. And so that had a really big impact on me because I was like, 
I want that life. <laughs> I like the like that piece of, let's say, walking around uh, these nice little villages, having these like menu of the day, which cost a few euros. And so that really got me inspired to start saving a little bit of money myself. And I went into the financial services industry. So I'm, I'm an actuary by background. So for, for those who don't know, that is essentially a, an accountant who loves statistics. So I'd, I would work with insurance companies, retirement schemes, um, endowments, and even some governments, and to help them mostly on the investment side to say, right, where should they put their, their sort of millions, sometimes billions of, of pounds invested? And so I started to get a bit into investing, but sort of like money. And so that kind of just led to my kind of story of being interested in trying to work hard, but kind of save and have this kind of mission to, right, I want to think about my savings and having the benefits of it, because I essentially got to see the benefits of it from my parents. And I was like, I want that. And I think I felt very fortunate about that, because most people don't really get to see the benefits of savings, uh, especially that kind of multi-year, even like decades (laughs) kind of planning approach that my parents went through. And so it was really nice, especially as they they never had super high paying jobs. They, They got paid well, but compared but let's say compared to their friends and colleagues etc they retired much earlier so that's kind of the biggest impact on my money story um that's led me to to be able to be really interested in and have that kind of savings mindset and it's great to have a story where your parents have been an inspiration and created an aspiration for you as well because so often we hear a story that's been given to us by our parents that tends to be around the things that you don't feel you can aspire to. You don't feel you are worthy enough. You don't feel you're ever going to be able to do better than your parents have done, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think created that mindset for your parents? Um, so I think it's probably more my my dad's money story. So my dad grew up in Northern Ireland. Um, unfortunately, his parents died when he was uh, in his teenage years. <laughs> And so he had to get an apprenticeship. And so when he moved over, he so he essentially had a really poor upbringing. He had three brothers that he had to share a room with. So my dad always had this mentality of when he moved over to the UK and started to work, he's always said he never wants to be poor again. And then he had that mindset. So he always wanted to have that security, have that money. So when he worked, he had that kind of backstory and motivation to to save. He wasn't of the mindset I need to prove to anything because he moved to a different country. <laughs> He's got no one to prove all, all of it. Everyone, it wasn't that, that kind of mindset that many people who potentially did have a more of a poor upbringing, they kind of, I've, I've made it, look how much I've made it and sort of show off to, to show off that. He didn't have that. He was much more, I just don't want to be like I was in the past and therefore I want to be secure. So he had that mindset, which again, I think hasn't really impacted on us because we had a relative, my parents and my dad in particular, we had a food or, or money or anything when we were growing up. So it's a different mindset. It's more about the benefits of, of that uh, piece rather than I say my story is kind of linked to my yeah. dad's story, but it's totally different if that makes yeah, sense. It does. Absolutely. So how has that fed into how you are bringing your children up? Yeah. So, so I moved from the UK to Hong Kong in 2014 with the job that I was working at. And then it was around 2017. Someone said to me, oh, um, 
I was talking about my two daughters and so he said, oh, enjoy this time with them. They only grow up once. And I was like, oh, it's it's an obvious statement, but had a big impact on me. So I wanted to then, so I said to my wife, I think we should leave our corporate jobs and spend more time with the kids where they're growing up. As we're typically working longish hours and only seeing like a bit tired at the, in the evenings and busy at the weekends. So we did. So in 2019, we left our corporate jobs and we moved from Hong Kong to a really beautiful place called Hoi An in Vietnam. Everyone, I recommend go there. It's, it's absolutely ideal. Anyway, when we're, when I was leaving um, Hong Kong, a lot of people said to me, how can you afford to take this time off work? And so, and I was in the financial services industry. So most people knew about money, but yet it seemed that I was in a very minority of people who actually put in what that knowledge and put it into practice in terms of saving and investing our money. So we had this nest egg that allowed us to, to move. So then it got me, I felt so fortunate to be able to take this time off work and have this time for our daughters without any kind of that uh, corporate pressure. pressure. Mm-hmm. And so I really felt, right, I want to teach my kids about money so they can have this same opportunity. They might not, they might choose to do something different, but I feel, I felt so lucky just to have the option to do what we did compared to so many other people. And so, yeah, so that's why I've started from, I think my youngest daughter was about four years old when um, we, I started saying, right, I'm going to really sort of teach them about uh, money, but not try and lecture them, but more guide them and, and try and make it as fun as possible. So writing stories and coming up with fun analogies to, to make it interesting for them and try and do it consistently rather than I say, I'm going to sit you down and we're going to have a, a whole weekend of money, 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 money. <laughs> it was much more right when going to bed, can I think of adding in a little money story uh, to maybe a story that I'm already telling them that from a book or something like that. And how do you think that has shaped their thoughts and feelings with regards to money? Because how old are they now? So they're now eight and ten years old. Okay, and, and yeah, no, there's a they're very conscious about money. They they understand a lot about how. So we talk to them about how fortunate we are to be in the, to do what we did and spend that time um, with them. And so it's it's a nice reference point for them. A bit like my I'd say my money story. I kind of learned from my parents, and I really want my kids to learn from us and say, look, we could buy fancier cars, fancier clothes, different house. Um, but we choose not to because we want to have that time with the kids and that's our option. And so for them, I think they, they've got this good mindset about money. But I think it's hard for me because I've been talking to them for so many years that I'm not sure where they, what the reference point would be if we didn't teach them about money. That makes sense. So yeah. now they're into really good habits. So we give them some pocket money every week. And so they would put some money towards saving up for something. They'll put some money towards the long term and saving it. But one of the bits that we do with them and it was, we started when we were, I say, when my youngest was about four years old, I used the analogy of getting them to think of seeds, uh, money like seeds. And so I said to them, look, you can give away those seeds and that's just like spending, or you can plant them and that's saving. And if you actually plant them or invest them, they'll start to grow. And then you'll grow these trees, uh, which is, we call blue trees and hence the name of my company, which is Blue Tree Savings. And so they can like visualize these trees. And when they were very young, it worked out really well because we had always really interesting conversations, but it wasn't really about money. It was about just growing this forest. And what do you need to do to grow your forest? Well, you need to keep some of the seeds that you receive. You need to plant them. You need to look after them. But you need to know that it's not going to just grow overnight. It's going to take a a while to do that. And so it worked out really well, and especially because they were learning about the environment and school uh, at school. So they came a little bit protective of these trees, even though there's these like uh, made up imaginary blue trees, they were still like, I want to look after them. I might take a few branches off here or there. 
Um, but they wanted to, they didn't, the thought of just chopping down all of their trees was like, no, <laughs> which is like perfect. <laughs> so it's got that mentality of kind of looking after, looking into the future. So I think there's some really good lessons that I think that they're instilling and I hope they, it sticks with them as they get grow up. And the good thing is that other parents are, are kind of using that same analogy now, which is great. Absolutely. And I think that's lovely that, you know, the, with, with the seeds analogy, you can either give them away or you can plant them and, and wait to see what, what they grow into. I, I love that analogy. With your two children, do you find they have a different mindset around money? Because I know with my two children, I know we've spoken about this before, they are very, very different. You know, my, my eldest child will, will plan to spend that money before he's even earned it, whereas my youngest child is very, very reflective on how that's going to affect the expenditure he's thinking about, how's that going to affect the levels of savings that he has. And we've brought them up, you know, exactly the same. You know, our values around money have been, you know, hopefully passed on to both of them, but their behaviours are very different. Have you, are you seeing the same with your children? Yes. So there's clearly a difference. They're not quite as extreme as I've, I've seen where it's one is like a hardened, won't let the money <laughs> touch the wallet before it's spent and the others won't spend any. One, my youngest is probably of the mindset of, she. it takes a lot of work for her to spend. Like she, she always be, well, do I really need that? She's got that kind of patience. And so for me, I'm actually trying to encourage her to say, what well, do you enjoy spending? Cause I, it's all about balance. I hate the whole concept of you're either a spender or a saver. It's, yeah. you have to be both and you have yeah. to be good at both. Um, if anything, you should be more of a spender, but just save some. <laughs> and I think it's this balance that people seem to shy away from. It's like one or the other. So for my youngest, she's probably saving probably too much in terms of not getting into good spending habits and understanding what money, what the joys that money can bring. My, my eldest, she's a bit more, she, she's not frivolous. So she won't, she doesn't just want to go out and spend, but if she gets what wants something, she wants it soon. <laughs> so she'll be like, right, I want this. How, how much do I have in my savings account? Right. What can I do now to get as much money as possible to buy that thing that I really want? But she won't touch her long-term savings, which is good. And she's never asked to, um, but she's a bit more gung-ho, but definitely not to the extremes that I've seen others. And it's really interesting. I think I'm doing more and more research, especially on my youngest one, about how do you encourage kids to spend? And I think that's really interesting because, as you know, with adults, <laughs> the big issue is that everyone's, well, not everyone, majority of people spend too much um, and, and therefore don't save and therefore have all the financial stresses and anxieties that come along with that. So, yeah, for my youngest daughter, it's trying to get that right balance. I think she's a little bit too too save saving mindset but i don't think that's a big problem it's more of a, a tweaks here and there but i'm going to do more research but they don't, the good thing is that they don't really um compare each other too much which is nice i think they kind of learning from each other so if my my eldest does buy something my youngest like oh i could probably buy that if i wanted to uh i don't want to at the moment um but my my, my eldest is a bit um starting to get a little bit worried because the youngest one because we've she has less money because she's younger and has, we haven't but she's starting to catch up <laughs> so now i think my oldest one is probably a bit like oh right maybe i should save a little bit more <laughs> i don't want my younger sister having more money than me <laughs> and it's funny you say that about the learning because with both my two i, I got them both to complete their money archetypes assessment um 
so that they better understand why they behave the way that they do with regards to money. And it's quite funny. They will now kind of tell each other, oh, that's your romantic archetype coming up. Oh, that's your celebrity. And it is interesting how my eldest will encourage my my youngest to spend. He has got my youngest child into thinking more about you know branded clothing etc but equally my my eldest child does actually look at his bank balance in his his everyday account and is now more mindful about projecting his yeah. needs so you know between now and the next pocket money i'm gonna have how much okay I'm gonna... so i can see that having that that knowledge has helped each other to move away from the slightly more, when I say extreme, it's not extreme, but, you know, Sam is definitely a saver, whereas Adam is definitely a spender. But by them both understanding those behaviours a little bit more, then that has encouraged them to think probably more than me as a parent trying to promote that thought process because you know my mum and you know mum isn't always right of course she is but my eldest <laughs> doesn't think so <laughs> no it's a really interesting one of the points you made about there is the sort of social pressure in terms of branding and stuff and so this is not something we consciously thought about but so we're we, we now live in thailand and let's say we lived in in vietnam as well and so my kids don't haven't had so much of that spending social pressure there's there's not like the big designer um shops here and there's not very much in branding um stuff so clearly something like trainers and stuff like that you get the sports brands but no one seems to care and none of her friends their friends seem to care about that stuff relative to say family and friends in the uk where it's much more prevalent at a younger age so it'll be quite interesting as my children grow up and then they, we start to go and more, spend more time with cousins and friends with children, how that will impact them. But at the moment, I'm quite liking the fact that they they, they seem not too worried about spend what other friends are buying and wearing, et cetera. But yeah. it's an interesting development. Yeah. And I, th- and I think it is also an age thing as well, because I can remember my 13-year-old, when Sam is now 14, but when he was 13, he... I would say to him, what, you know, what are you going to wear on Saturday? Oh, I don't know, Mum, just tell me. I don't care. You just tell me what to wear and I'll wear it. And then all of a sudden, almost overnight from hitting his 14th birthday, all of a sudden, Mum, don't go near my wardrobe. I'm getting rid of that, 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 and that. <laughs> and instead, I want to look at getting this, 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 and this. So I yeah. do think there is an awareness and, yes, the UK definitely, you know, more visibility around brands, probably more awareness of you know social media and influencers etc etc you know without a shadow of a doubt but for me I think the switch was hormonal in you know noticing girls but also unfortunately the comparatonitis you know that person has that brand of trainer that person is wearing that brand of of t-shirt but they are aware of the cost of things. Um, and I will say to them, well, I'm quite happy to buy you a new pair of trainers, but if you want that particular pair at that ridiculous price, then you're going to have to meet me halfway. And I think that then allows them to make a decision. They're engaged in the process of thinking, 
okay, I want that pair of trainers. Mum's going to give me that much money. Do I really want to spend that amount from my my own money or not? And yeah. that I think and I hope has allowed them to to realize, you know, even at their age that they have to start being responsible about money and it isn't just about bank of mum and dad. Yes, I love that. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. It's that value of money um going through and you, you, and it's interesting when that concept because i assume that both parents have to be aligned to that as well because sometimes what you find and i've heard stories where one parent's like i want to teach my kids about money and i want them to be understand the value of money and so they they've been as you say right you know, i've had to pay it for itself or pay some of it yourself but then the the other parent who's <laughs> just like i just want them to be happy i don't want to hear this whinging let's just pay for it <laughs> and then you're like just overcomes and then the kids are kind of bit confused and they're clearly just going to then tend towards asking for money or talking to money to the most generous parent so it's so important that parents align themselves um whether they're together or not yeah uh to to be in that mindset to to assume uh, and not just assume that if one parent does it it's going to act in the best interest of the kids exactly absolutely and that i think and i think it can be really hard because my natural tendency with my children has always been you know if they go on a school trip uh, is to actually give them a bit more than they actually need because I haven't wanted them to not have enough. But actually, I realized that was not a great way to demonstrate to them that they have got to understand the art of budgeting. They have got to understand to be responsible. I know that's because of my nurturer archetype so i know i need to lean away from the automatic response of here have this here be happy into a more solution-led mindset that says you can have it but and the but has created them in thinking can i do more chores around the house adam can i get a saturday job etc etc getting them to work out how they can go about creating what they want. My natural tendency is to be a a nurturer in the sense of that money archetype, but that's not necessarily the right set of behaviors to be leaning into if you want your children to have the right values themselves around money. And I think it's really important to be aware of your tendencies and not to automatically to do what you think is the right thing, because it's usually based on emotion. And as you know, from all the work that you've done, if we are coming from a place of emotion when it comes to money, that behavior is not necessarily the best behavior to be utilizing. I know. And it's it's really hard for many parents, especially because they all parents feel that they want their children to have something more than what they had themselves when they were growing up. But that can be counterintuitive a little bit in terms of how kids are raised, as the points you've just raised. If if you give your child say, Oh, I want my child to have be happy and have whatever I couldn't have. But then that child then doesn't get the value of that. It doesn't understand the appreciation of that. And that can have big negatives when they're, they're going into their own adulthoods. They don't understand the, the value of that. They, have, they, have, they live above their means. They, and it's like not very grateful for the money that 
they might have been given in the past and therefore have those impacts. And so one of the hardest bits for parents, especially for parents who do have money and wealth, is that you're trying to have to teach your kids about scarcity <laughs> to show that not all the time money is there and almost give them a period where we don't have money. Or so I don't do it yet with my kids, but I can't imagine when they're older, I want to send them on like a, a gap year or whatever it may be and say, we're not going to give you any money, but or give them a small amount of money, but say, go, go work it out. So they have that, okay, I have to budget. It's not a case of, oh, mom says I have to budget or dad says I have to budget because that just feels, whereas if they actually have to budget because <laughs> they only have this much money, changes their mindset, sees the importance more so than any kind of lecture <laughs> that can be provided or guidance that can be provided. Um, but it's really hard for parents because if you've got Absolutely. money, why do you want to see your kids struggling yeah. <laughs> and potentially uh, running out of money in certain situations? But unfortunately, that's the, sometimes the best way for learning. Um, again, I don't use those kind of tactics at the moment. I'm hoping that they're just going to form nice savings habits <laughs> and start budgeting themselves, which they're showing at the moment. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not afraid to in the future if we need to. Actually, and actually to demonstrate to them that you know money has to be earned. It's not something that. Just you know, you, you you go to that tree in the garden and you and you pluck it off, etc. You know, for me, and I've spoken about this before in the podcast. Is for me with my children, it was always a case of when they had Xboxes. Their Xboxes used to go through batteries like you wouldn't believe it, and they'd go out to the battery drawer. Yeah, we have a battery drawer in our house, and they go, "Bam, there's no batteries left." And I would always say, I'll just go down to that battery tree <laughs> at the bottom <laughs> of the garden <laughs> because the children quite, you know, and understandably, they did not associate any costs with those batteries because whenever they went to the battery drawer, there'd be batteries in the battery drawer. And it was only when I made that correlation that we give them pocket money and they're expected to, you know, utilize that pocket money, some towards saving, some towards, you know, maybe saving for a gift for Christmas or whatever it might be. But actually, they just saw the batteries as being a never ending supply. Yes. And it was only when I thought, hang on, I need to make them aware that it does cost money to put those batteries into the drawer. But how do they know that if yeah. I've never taught them that? So that was a, you know, that was an education to me. Yeah, no, I think all those little lessons are so, so important. And it's one of the topics I've written about quite a bit is about this moving to the cashless society, where it's some of the, the sort of bits that we take for granted are so extreme. So even going to the shops and paying for something with your card, we, we know a transaction's going on. We know that if we go and buy some bread, we get the bread and some money has gone from our bank accounts. We take that for granted because we used to pay with cash and we used to see the cash going uh, and being taken from us and we got something in return. Whereas kids today don't know that. And we take it, they just hear this magical beep <laughs> from your watch, your phone or wherever, the, the card, and suddenly you just get given this bread and they don't see what's being taken. And so for parents, we need to be more proactive than ever to make sure that we're not missing those little lessons such as the battery tree or uh, transactions going on. And especially with sort of games and stuff like that, where they've got currency within the game, which is just a number on a screen, as is their bank account, which is just a number on the screen. So the only money they see is these numbers on the screen. How do they tell the difference between one and the other? And so again, it needs, to, it's so easy for parents just to assume that they know that a bank account is real money and this game is not. 
but I've heard horror stories, so many horror stories of uh, kids spending real money thinking it was just, I thought it was just in a game. I didn't realize it was connected to a credit card and <laughs> buying these covers for imaginary guns or whatever their game, robots yeah. or whatever they're playing. And so it's a really important that we find ways. And what you said about pocket pocket money is just the best way in my mind. I think it's the most underrated financial education tool there is because it allows children to start using money and making decisions and importantly making mistakes yeah but the mistakes the parents have to let the kids make the mistakes and suffer the consequences of their mistakes yeah. <laughs> which is really again really hard for a lot of parents because they're like well i've got the money and my kid's upset why i don't why don't i just give them the money and everything's happy but if they don't and they just see that oh it's okay i can just spend my parents will just give me some more because eventually that could easily lead to oh, i've spent too much it's okay i'll just go mum and dad won't give it to me but the credit card company will i'll just carry and you can see how that continues absolutely. going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you are so right that the you know the contactless society, and I hadn't actually made that connection. So that was brilliant. They can't. They just like my boys did with you know thinking the batteries just you know just turned up in the drawer. It's exactly the same with regards to the ping with the contactless card and children not actually making a connection that anything is going on in the background. And I think, again, what is happening here is we are making it harder for children. You know, when we were younger, we were physically, or at least I was, and I presume the same for you, you know, I was physically given, and I can't remember how much, it might have been a, a £5 note or a £10 note, you know, in my hands. That was my pocket money. So I physically got to feel and touch it. Yeah. Whereas today... It was my boys. It's a Go Henry transaction, basically, from you know, from my my bank account to their bank account. So yeah. it's understandable to a certain extent. They just think the money happens as opposed yeah. to them actually getting. And I actually, it's funny you've just put spark something in my mind. My my dad, their grandpa is very very generous with them whenever he sees them he will give them 30 40 50 pounds in wow. notes wow. and you can see go, look we, we, we've got we've got this <laughs> and they don't really understand what to do with it because they're yeah. now so used to just handing over their card whenever they go to make a transaction my dad is a big believer in cash you know, over anything yeah. else. But for lots of children now, you know, when did they last see a check being written? Can't yeah. remember the last time I wrote a check. So that's no longer really an everyday currency. How yeah. often do you, I, have cash in our car, in our, in our purse? I only have cash in my purse now when my my parents have given my children the cash and my children say, Mum and Dad, you have the cash, put it onto our card. Because they <laughs> they don't see the value in the Sorry. cash because for them, the exchange happens on the card. So that's a really good reminder that we yeah. do need to make children aware of that whole process of what happens in that contactless transaction yeah so it was interesting we when we started doing pocket money we tried to do cash for all the reasons i just kind of mentioned yeah. about the transaction and, and feeling it's but it's really hard to have the right cash so even if you wanted to you might have some but you wouldn't have it in the right denominations to to spread it out 
But then also what would happen is because you don't have much cash, when we did need cash, we'd go back into their their piggy banks and take it out and put little IOUs in there. That's too. And so what we did is we just made it into an IOU system. So we cut out these pieces of paper and essentially created our own little currency. And so it's kind of like our pocket money currency. And so we give them these little bits of, and they've got different numbers on them and each week they would get them. And so then when they want to buy something from their money, because they haven't got their own cards at the moment, they would have to give us the, the sort of tokens yeah. back and then we'll pay for it. So again, they're starting to see the, that Exchange. money and currency and tra- transaction. And they also get to see the money and sort of build it up in their little pots. Which is uh, lovely. So they see their savings. But now my eldest is getting a bit older. We, she doesn't look at it as much. But I think she's got the most of the concepts now. So now that if we did give her a card, um, it's a bit harder here where we are to, to do that. But if we did, I'm sure that, that she's kind of picked up those lessons. But yeah. I, I think if I... If I just gave her a card straight away without those lessons, I kind of always think back to when if I was a kid and someone gave me a card, especially one of those ones where it's got your own name on it, yeah. I'd want to use it, yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a bit of a novelty. So, yeah, I think that with these cashless bits, we have to be more proactive to, to replace the lessons that we all take for granted that we learn not directly but indirectly by using cash. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me about your book. What what inspired you to write it? And tell me more about it. Perfect. Yeah, so I started in so 2019, I started my my blogging, just saying, well, here's some stories that I tell my kids before going to bed about different topics, about saving, investing. And some of them got picked up by the Financial Times. But anyway, I never planned to write a book. I just write them for, for parents. But then after a while, um, about 18 months, so the little stories that I had within some of the, the blogs, someone said to me, oh, I should put those into a book because they're, they're, they're great and my kids will love them. And so, yes, yeah, so I took the, the little stories that I had within uh, these different blogs covering all different topics and put them into a story. So I had a nice kind of flow from a bit about the mindset about rich versus wealthy to earning money, to, to looking after the money, to making the money grow. And then even to stories about tax and, and debt to make sure they hold on to their money in the future. But I really... The whole book is using stories. So it's called Grandpa's Fortune Fables, fables like a story with a, a kind of lesson to it. And so we've got this journey of grandpa, uh, well, so it's a granddaughter talking about her grandpa on this adventure. And it uses the uh, seeds analogy extensively throughout the book. <laughs> and then you've got the granddaughter going through how she's using the lessons that her grandpa taught her to sort of look after, start her own little business and use that money. And so I'm hoping that as children read through the book, They'll, they'll see themselves in Gail, the, the main character, the, the granddaughter, and start following in her, her footsteps. And what I've really tried to do is make sure it's kind of action-based. So it's not just about lots of knowledge. It's more about this little girl started to mm-hmm. do this with her money. So but hopefully the readers will go, I want to do that with my money. And it's great that when I hear uh, comments from readers and families saying, we read the book together, we had some really interesting conversations, and now my daughter or son is open wants to open this account or has started their own little business or is saving up for something else. And so, yeah, it's been uh, really interesting. And the best bit about it has been I've been doing it with my daughters. So every story I, I try out on them, <laughs> they'll either enjoy it or they'll fall asleep. <laughs> One of the two, but I get that nice insights and they'll come up with ideas of improving it or coming up with names and uh, funny bits to, to make it more entertaining. So yeah, that's no, been there. And I've just been blown away by the the warm re- uh, the reception it's received. And it's, yeah, it's going to be translated into to numerous new 
uh, languages uh, over the next year or so. So I'm absolutely thrilled. That's amazing. And I think what you said there is so important with regards to taking action, actually using the book to inspire and to then actually take action. But what I love about it even more is the fact it's encouraging parents to have that conversation about money with their children, but in a way that they both feel comfortable. You're helping to remove the taboo that some parents feel with regards to should I be having this conversation with my children? If yeah. so, how can I have it? Because isn't talking about money a bit icky? And yeah. you're you're ensuring that it's not any of those negative things. It's a really positive thing. A hundred percent. And it's it really, children, especially the sort of my daughter's age, so under 10, I'm not, I haven't spoken to many, many children above that. Um, but they love it. They just love talking about money. I went to schools and so I, I kind of do like a little five, 10 minute little presentation. Then I just say, before I go on, has anyone got any questions? And just the amount of hands that just fly up with all different types of questions. Some talking about wanting to share what they've done with their money and what they've saved up for or how they've started their own little business. But they want to know where does money come from? Where did it first start? Who's the richest man in the world? And they're just so curious about it but they sometimes they just never get a platform to express um, their questions or interest in the topic so i'm so happy when i do hear um, that parents are reading with their kids and they're having some fantastic conversations but as you say the one of the great bits is it sometimes sparks the parents to start learning themselves because they read the book and lots of parents said i wish i read this book <laughs> myself um earlier but also it gets them to think about being a role model as well. Yeah. So as they read that and say, actually, if I want my children to be good at saving, I should be more vocal about if they are saving, saving, if they're not saving, maybe I should start saving yeah. um, and thinking about investing, which the book sort of talks about how Gail sets up her own little investment account with the help of her parents. Um, so it's, yeah, it's those, that interaction that I really love. And I'm hoping it's a bit of a Trojan horse for, for all the parents to, to learn something in a non patronizing confrontational kind of way very simplistic language and i think that's the amazing thing isn't it is when you can reach people on that dual level the fact that and you know it's exactly the same with you know the the teenage course that i have is that it is there marketed you know for teenagers to better understand that money the concept of money and their mindset, but actually it's been designed as well for parents who either want to learn alongside their children or to do it independently, because very often when we don't understand something, that is when we shy away from talking about it. So by helping to educate them, but also the ripple effect that is had when exactly as you said, encouraging the parents to go, well, I need to be demonstrating these good behaviours, so I'll start saving. So the knock-on effect then is they are creating that financial security and starting to think about very intentionally what is available for them, which they may not have thought about if if you and I had not created that sense of, what I like to call the art of the possible. So well done for you for for doing exactly exactly that and not just instilling that sense and 
what is the word I'm looking for? Inspiring, inspiring the youngest generation, but also the generation, you know, before them as well, because that knock-on effect, the domino effect, it could have globally is massive, absolutely massive. Yeah, no, I really hope that's the case. And it's, I think sometimes it's just sometimes everyone needs that catalyst, don't they? Especially as parents, as adults, our money is so consumed, isn't it? It's, we've got bills to pay, we've got holidays, we've got stuff for schools. So we always think our money is so busy that we can't see into the future with it. But for our children, we can, we always look at (laughs) what do we want our children to be in the future? And so sometimes it just needs that catalyst of, okay, I'm going to talk to my kids about money in the future. And therefore, all right, I'm thinking about the future for my kids. I can think about it for myself. Sometimes it just needs that catalyst and the kids are always a good way to, to spark that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So how can people connect with you, Will? Perfect. Yeah. So the best place is uh, bluetreesavings.com. So that's my website that has all my blogs, lots of information about the book. You can get the free, the two first two chapters for free to, to check it out um, yourself. Uh, I'm on most social media. I'm most uh, active on LinkedIn. Yeah, so just look up Will Rainey on LinkedIn and, and you'll see me there. And I generally put two or three sort of tips for parents uh, about teaching the kids about money on there. But that's the Brilliant. website and LinkedIn are the best places. Perfect. Thank you very much. And those details will be in the show notes so people can easily connect with you. Thank you very much for your time today. I have absolutely loved the conversation. I would encourage people to go to Amazon to get a copy of your brilliant book and to start having those conversations with their children because there's everything to gain and nothing to lose. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much for listening to the latest episode of the Let's Talk Money and More podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to better understand your relationship with money, then please head to the resources section on my website, the Money Confidence Academy, and download my monthly money mindset audit. This will allow you to create a benchmark for where your relationship with money is right now and allow you to continue to measure it on a monthly basis as you do the inner work to improve it. You will also find a copy of my Money Archetypes Assessment at the same time, which will allow you to start to really understand which are your three primary money archetypes driving your relationship with money and how to use this information to make, spend, keep and invest more money. Or if you are a female online business owner, why not join my free Money Confidence community over on Facebook? A link to the group and other ways to connect with me can be found in the show notes. Finally, if you have enjoyed listening to the podcast, please do tell others about it. And I would love it if you rated it and gave a review.